welcome to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. I'm Diana Ritchie. Today, we have a listener question about inheriting a family home. Our listener writes, Hi, my brother and I inherited my deceased mother's home in Henderson, Nevada, worth about $600,000. My brother doesn't want to buy the house or live in it, so my option is to either buy my brother out and live it in myself until I decide to sell it, or rent it out for about $3,000 a month. Or we sell it together and split the profit after all the fees. I don't know what would be financially more beneficial for me. As a side note, my mom's partner still lives in the house and will stay there until he passes, so I'm also unsure about the timing of this decision. Whatever the decision, when should that happen? Now or when he passes? He's 88 years old. Thank you for helping. I'm a little lost. Yeah, you actually um, don't sound that lost. You've laid out a lot of great options, three great options here um, in your question. And so we'll untangle this knot because as you probably know and have intuited, I think there are three main components, three pieces to work through. The first one, of course, is lifestyle. What you personally want for your life, whether you want to live in Henderson or not. Second piece of this, of course, is the economic consideration. And then the third component is, of course, the tax piece. So with that, let's dive in. Part number one is the lifestyle piece. And We'll start with this because the lifestyle piece could very well rule out some or all of these options, maybe one or two of these options, depending on how you come out. So I would imagine that there is a spectrum for you. On the one end of the spectrum, maybe it's the case that this home in Henderson is your dream home. And you've always wanted to live there and you can't wait to move in. And it's where you'd be happiest in life. And then, of course, at the other end of the spectrum, um, it's entirely possible that maybe you've lived in California for 30 years. You're totally established there. Your friends are there. Your family is established there. You have great community. You have a career you love. you You have a house you love. And the thought of moving to Henderson, Nevada is just absolutely the last thing you'd rather do, you'd want to do. Or maybe from a lifestyle perspective, you're you're falling somewhere in between. You know, maybe you'd be open to moving to Henderson, but it's not high on your list. So what I would say is use these lifestyle decisions as a gating item because Taxes and economics aside, we can't lose sight of the fact that money is a tool that helps us create the life that we want, not the other way around. So I would never recommend or tell you to make a life decision just because it makes tax or economic sense. So I'd say, you know, if you can't wait to live in this house and you're excited to move in, then the right answer, of course, is to buy your brother out and to live in the house. Um, 
On the other hand, if you absolutely don't want to live there, then that also narrows the options, I think. So bottom line on lifestyle factors is insofar as you do have clarity on what you want for your life, where you want to live, let that be the first guiding force in terms of which options of these three that you've laid out, you would realistically consider. Okay, so maybe that lifestyle factor provided some filters, maybe it didn't. Let's move on to the second consideration, which is, of course, the money piece, the economic piece. And here, I would say um, this is kind of a knot of three different things. So let's break it down into its, its three different parts. The first thing I think about is whether this home has a mortgage on it, which we'll talk about. The second thing I think about is whether you expect this home to appreciate in value or not. In other words, what you think home prices are going to do over the next couple of years. And then the third piece of the puzzle, I'd say, would be the income piece, the, you know, rental income or annual cash flow rate of return piece. So let's take each one of those in turn. The first consideration, I'd say, would be whether there's a mortgage on the property. Now, ordinarily, your mortgage and you think, oh, it's debt, it's bad, you know, you'd want to get rid of it. I think in this case, if it is the case that this house has a mortgage on it, and if if it has a mortgage that's got a really favorable rate, like three or 4%, then you might think to yourself, you might consider not selling the house because as you know, probably over the last 18 months, mortgage rates have gone up tremendously. And it's basically impossible to get a new mortgage today with a rate of three or 4%. So, I'd say if this house has a mortgage on it and that mortgage has a really favorable rate, then maybe you think to yourself, oh, that kind of mitigates towards holding on to this house because it's really favorable leverage. Factor number two here is what you think home prices are going to do in the future. And we pull out our crystal ball and we realize that we actually have no idea. I have no idea what home prices are going to do. You may know better than I do, but realistically, it's it's really difficult to predict what home prices are going to do. Obviously, you know, if you're looking at this and you're thinking, oh gosh, I'm really scared that home prices are going to fall because interest rates are now so high and they may even go higher. You know, I want to sell this house while I know it's worth $600,000 and I don't want to risk that the stock markets, or I'm sorry, the real estate market's going to crash over the next couple of years. 
So if you're worried that home prices are going to fall, then that, of course, would mitigate towards selling the house today while you know it's worth about $600,000. Now, practically speaking, realistically, um, coming back to lifestyle for a second, we have your mom's partner's lifestyle. And so even if you think that real estate prices might fall, you it sounds like may not realistically have the option of selling the home today because your mom's partner's still living in the home and he's 88 years old. And, um, you know, like with our earlier lifestyle spectrum, I'm not sure how your mom's partner is feeling about staying in this home. He, at the one end of the spectrum, might love this home and be determined to pass away in this home. On the other hand, maybe he's looking at this home and saying, gosh, it's a big house. It's a lot of upkeep. I think I'd rather downsize or move to more of a retirement community. Maybe he wants to move to Florida and live out the rest of his days there. I I don't know where he's falling, where your mom's partner is falling on things. Um, But do want to acknowledge that, you know, economics aside, again, selling this home today may not be a viable option. Um, But economic factor number two is we will consider and have to consider what we think home prices will do. Because if you think that home prices are going to fall and you're worried about that, maybe it mitigates towards selling sooner. Whereas if you think that home prices are going to skyrocket over the next few years, then you'll want to more strongly wait or consider the options of buying out your brother and living in the house or renting it out, holding on to it rather than selling it today. And then component number three on the economic front is the income. So I know you mentioned that if you buy your brother out, and decide to rent the house, you could get about $3,000 a month for the house. And if we divide that $36,000 of annual income that you'd get by the current fair market value of the house, the $600,000, it comes out to cash flow of around 6%. In other words, your income stream would be about 6% of the value of the house every year. And when we subtract out expenses like, oh gosh, I'm the landlord and I have to put a new roof on this house because the roof needs to be replaced or I'm the landlord, I have to deal with changing the light bulbs. I'm the landlord, I have to replace the hot water heater because it just went out. When you subtract out these kinds of maintenance and repair expenses on the home, your cash flow is going to be even less than 6%. And the reason I tell you that from an economic perspective is because 
whether you, you know, keep this house and rent it out for $3,000 a month or whether you sell the house, take that $300,000 of proceeds that you'd get minus any real estate commissions and you throw it in a savings account, you in today's day and age are going to be getting about 5%. And that's an important data point, I think, because don't think that from an in, a passive income perspective, renting out the house is necessarily going to make you more money than you could make by just selling the house and putting the proceeds in a savings account. Okay, so that was a lot on the economic perspective, those three points. What's the bottom line? What's What should we kind of take away from this? And I think the biggest takeaway for me is that financially, economically, um, you know, it, it might make the most sense and might be simplest to sell the house with your brother, split the proceeds. You know, you each get $300,000 minus the real estate commissions. And then just put that money, invest that money in other ways. You can initially put it in a savings account. You'll get your 5%, which is about the rate of return that you'd get from actually running the thing out. That approach of sell and invest the proceeds elsewhere makes great economic sense. However, like we've said, there are a few things that might mitigate towards holding on to the house. And those things would be, one, if this house has really a really favorable mortgage rate on the mortgage, then you might not want to sell the house because you'd lose that leverage. Two, if you think that this ho- that the housing market and home prices are going to explode in the coming years, or you really feel like this house is a really great and wonderful investment because you think the price is going to go up a lot in the future, then, of course, that also would mitigate towards holding on to the house, whether that means living in it yourself or holding on to it and renting it out. So from an economic perspective, that's, you know, that's sort of the big picture. And then finally, piece number three is the tax perspective. And from a tax perspective, there are two rules that come into play here. The first one is the rule about your primary residence and the capital gain exclusion. And you may have heard of this rule. Um, You'll hear numbers like $250,000, $500,000. You'll hear that thrown around, you know, primary residence, Capital gains, 250,000, 500,000, kind of hear that thrown around. So we'll talk about that rule. But then we'll also talk about what's called the step up or step down in basis rule. And that's the rule that 
likely came into play when your mom passed away. So we'll talk about that one as well. You mentioned that one of your options is to buy out your brother and move to this house, make it your primary residence. You live there. And from a tax perspective, um, that could be really beneficial because the rule here is that, let's say you move into this house on January 1st, right? Three weeks from now. And you move into this house and you sell your other house or you break your lease or whatever it is. This house in Henderson is your primary residence. It's the place where you spend all your time. And let's say you live in this house for the next two years and then you go to sell it. From a federal income tax perspective, $250,000 of capital gain would be excluded from tax when you sell that house two years from now. What does that mean? What does that look like? What that means is You know, you move into the house January 1, and it's worth $600,000. And then over the course of the next two years, while you're living there as your primary residence, the house explodes in value, and when you sell it two years from now, it's worth a million dollars. The $250,000 rule means that Under normal circumstances, without this rule, you'd pay tax on $400,000, the appreciation that happened over those two years. But when the $250,000 rule kicks in, that means you actually only pay federal income tax, federal capital gains tax, on $150,000 because The $250,000 rule means it's like $250,000 of gain just never even happened from the tax code's perspective. So that's the primary residence rule. And I should mention, if you're married filing jointly, if you're filing a joint income tax return with your spouse, that $250,000 number actually becomes half a million, it doubles. So in this example, you know, you move into the house and two years from now, it's gone up to a million dollars and you have $400,000 of gain. If you're married filing jointly, you have $500,000 of exclusion. And that means you actually wouldn't ever pay capital gains tax on that house at all even though you made $400,000 in the course of two years. So that's the primary residence rule. And at this point, you're probably thinking to yourself, everybody get out of my way. I'm moving to Henderson. I don't care what, you know, whatever you say, that tax benefit is just entirely too good to pass up because $250,000 of gain exclusion is really lovely. It's a lot of money. Um, however, the flip side of this coin is that 
you're probably in a pretty good tax position anyway. And that's because of the step up in basis rule. So what I'd say on the step up in basis rule is in the vast majority of cases, when someone passes away, there is a basis adjustment that happens on the date of their death. What does that mean? What that means is, let's say your mom bought this house for $100,000 30 years ago. And let's say that when she died, I'm not sure when she died, but let's assume that the home was worth $600,000 on the day that your mom passed away. So the home was worth about what it's worth today when your mom passed. The question from a tax perspective is, for you and your brother, what is your tax basis in the home? In other words, is your basis, you never, you never bought it, so you inherited it. And so is your basis $100,000, what your mom originally paid for the house? Or is it the $600,000, which is the value of the house on the day your mom died? And the answer under the tax code in the vast majority of cases is that your basis, you and your brother, probably have a tax basis of $600,000 in this home. And that's really beneficial because Basis of $600,000 is better than basis of $100,000. And so what does that mean for you? What it means for you is you may not need the primary residence exclusion because if you and your brother have $600,000 of basis and, you know, two years from now, let's say you sell this house for $600,000, you're not going to have any taxable gain on it anyway, because the home hasn't appreciated much. Now, certainly, if you hold on to this home for the next two years, and like in our first example, it goes gangbusters, and you and your brother sell this home for a million dollars two years from now, then yes, you'll still have to pay tax on that $400,000 of appreciation. But the thing to know about the step up in basis rule is that you're probably in a pretty good position anyway, because if you sold this house tomorrow for $600,000, neither you nor your brother would pay any federal capital gains tax because again, we're assuming that your basis in the house is the $600,000 or whatever it was on the day that your mom died. Now, I should asterisk this a little bit. Um, There are some assumptions inherent in that. I'm assuming that this house is not held in a trust and that it was never held in a trust. In other words, it passed directly from your mom to your brother and to you. Um, I'm also assuming that it's not a farm or a ranch. 
I'm assuming it doesn't have a conservation easement on it. So there are some caveats here. But in the vast majority of cases, um, the basis is the fair market value on the date of death, which means if it was worth $600,000 on the day your mom passed, that is going to be the tax basis that you and your brother have. So to bring this tax picture home, I think the big picture takeaway is from a tax perspective, you're probably sitting pretty because you probably have a pretty high basis in the home already, thanks to the step up in basis rule, which I'm assuming applied in in this case. Now, certainly you'll find lots of information on the internet about the tax benefits of the capital gain exclusion for a home when it's your primary home. This is the $250,000 or $500,000 rule. But my gut would say that you and your brother probably don't need the benefit of the primary residence rule because you already have this step to basis in the home. That would be my gut. So big picture, I'd say lifestyle first. Don't make any decisions, don't make any moves to Henderson or otherwise just because you think it's best from an economic or tax perspective. I'd say first and foremost, decide what you want for your life and and what's going to bring you the most joy and the most peace. If that's living in Henderson in your mom's house, great. If it's staying put, great. But I'd say lead with that, let that be the driving force. From an economic perspective, I think um, selling the house, you know, as soon as your mom's partner is ready to move out or when he passes away, selling the house and reinvesting the proceeds probably makes good economic sense and will probably make about as much economic sense as renting the home out. So from an economic perspective, I think, or at least from an income perspective, it's probably all a wash. Now, of course, the big caveat to that is if you think that this home is going to explode in value, if you think it's going to go from 600000 to, you know, heaven knows what, and you, th- you firmly believe that it's a great um, investment from an appreciation perspective, then, yeah, maybe you'd you'd want to hold on to the house and live in it. Maybe you'd want to hold on to it and rent it out. But um, barring that, I'd say, you know, it's kind of six of one, half a dozen of the other on whether you sell the house and reinvest the proceeds in something else or whether you rent the house out. And then from a tax perspective, um, again, I know a lot of ink has been spilled about the benefit of having a home be your primary residence from a tax perspective. But in this case, I'd say you and your brother are probably sitting pretty because 
of the step up and basis rule. And so one thing you might check on is you might check with, um, you know, if, if there's a lawyer or a CPA who helped you through the probate process, they might be able to tell you what your tax basis is in the house. And if your tax basis is close to the current fair market value of around $600,000, then taxes become less of a concern. Again, unless this house blows up and appreciates in value. But I'd say from a tax perspective, with the step up in basis, you're probably in a pretty good position. So at the end of the day, um, not to interject my own my own personal bias, but I will say that I do like to lead with simplicity and to lead with what's simplest. And I'll also say that um, in my work with clients, um, some of the nastiest fights that I've ever seen have been around families and siblings trying to manage real estate together. Because I will tell you, it so often feels like everyone's just childhood drama and trauma comes bubbling to the surface and gets expressed in, you know, which style of light fixture to choose or which refrigerator to buy. Some of the nastiest family conflicts that I've seen have centered around families trying to manage real estate together. And so I'd say no shame in leading with simplicity if that's what you decide to do, whether it's buying your brother out and living in this home because that's what your soul wants, or whether it's simply, you know, selling the home when the time is right, when you're mom's partners is ready and to move out or passes away is done with the home, you know, selling it and simply taking your proceeds and moving forward. I'd say there's also no shame in simplicity. So thanks so much for writing in. And of course, if you have any follow-up questions, feel free to reach out. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. Of course, if you have questions about money or your personal finances, please feel free to drop us a voice note from the homepage at dianaritchie.com.